stand with us. We'll join in singing and worshiping the Lord this morning. Wow. 
walls of pride. Tear down our walls of fear and doubt and take us deeper with you, God. Tear down my walls. Less of me and more of you. God, take us deeper. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us a deeper love for you deeper love for those around us. Come shake this place. Come shake this place. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do and what you're already doing.
Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, we do have a couple extra announcements today, just so you know. Heidi's going to be sharing on, on some of the crisis that's happening in Peru, and we're going to hear from Timberlake. Um, a couple other announcements, though. Uh, the coin count. Remember that jar that we had full of coins, and you guys were giving all to, to the little kids? Just under $180 uh, out of that. So good job. I'm not sure how much they collected all, all total. Um, this weekend, but uh, as Joe shared earlier, uh, across the U.S., that's a $600,000 fundraiser for them. So that's, that's pretty remarkable. Um, uh, a couple other things. A Wednesday night live appreciation supper. Uh, teachers and helpers, you guys do so much and have helped so much and are really kind of the, yeah, just a huge part of that. And so uh, we want to just have a thank you at our place on, on April 12th. And uh, so for the teachers and helpers who have helped out with that, um, come on over. We'll do some burgers and just kind of have a, a good time. Uh, service Sunday on April 30th, uh, we're going to be, um, uh, we won't do Sunday school or, or the regular church service. Just show up at 930 and we're arranging some work projects. We're trying to find uh, some stuff here at the church, some stuff associated with the city and some stuff associated with the school. And so we should have kind of a, an array of, of projects that are available to you. And then after that, we're going to have a waffle fundraiser for the VBS team that's headed to Utah. And um, so uh, that's April 30th. Uh, we're going to be doing a Monday, Thursday service here um, um, before Easter. And, uh, and then in the community, there's a couple other things. The Heritage Park is going to have a Good Friday hymn sing. Uh, the CRC is going to have a um, sunrise service. Um, yeah, so... And a couple other announcements in your bulletin. I am going to turn it over now to Heidi, and she's going to share uh, some of what's been happening in Peru. So if the kids that were at Wednesday night live, they're actually going to help me share part of the announcement. So if you're at Wednesday night, you guys can come and sit right here, and then I'm going to have you guys help me share the story of what's been happening. See if you guys were listening to what was all going on. Oh, good. There's a good the good group here. Okay, so who who remembers the country that I talked about? Anybody here? Julia, do you remember? Peru. Peru. Your name. You can sit right over here. There you go. All right. And what's been happening in Peru? That's been really sad lately. Anyone have any? The town is flooded is flooded yeah so there's been um some massive rainfall that's been happening um it's called the el nino phenomenon and so for the last two months it's been raining pretty consistently and the infrastructure there is really bad and a lot of the streets aren't paved so you can only imagine with like mud and so there's been landslides and bridges have been collapsing because they just can't handle um the rain and so because of that there's been um people who have just lost everything and um yeah, who, who remembers my friends that live there? Do you guys remember any of their names? Anybody you remember? Stacy. Anybody remember my other friend's name? Joanna. So Stacy and Joanna are friends that of mine that I've worked with, and so they're there right now bringing um, food and aid. Um,
to those who are in need. Um, their house hasn't gotten flooded, which is good because 10 people have now um, moved in with them that have lost everything. So just imagine <laughs> opening up your home to 10 people um, that have lost everything. So who knows how long they'll be there with them. Um, but yeah, that's one of the that's one of the major highways called the Pan American Highway, and yeah, it's just completely gone. And they said it'll take up to probably three years to rebuild some of these roads. So right now they're having to um, have planes come in and bring food um, to people because they just they can't get it to them otherwise. And so um, Stacy and Joanna have teamed up with the Air Force. They actually made a, I guess a call to them, which I'm like, how do you even have that connection to get um, food out to a village um, that was in need? And they've been, um, yeah, bringing clean water filter, uh, well, yeah, water filters and um, bug repellent because disease now is going to start spreading. And so trying to equip the people that are out um, in the remote places as best as they can. So we have several churches that have been affected um, pretty severely. Um, thankfully, they've been still able to put videos on Facebook um, so that they can kind of share what's been going on. So a lot of the pastors have even lost their homes. There was a story of a family that they just had a baby and they had to go on their roof and they were stranded on their roof for like three days without food or water. Um, and so these are some of the pastors here that um, not all of them lost their homes, but a, a significant amount of them are also farmers and pastors. And so they've lost all their, their livelihood as well. So they'll be starting over pretty much from scratch. And um, so these are some of the, the ongoing needs um, that people, um, yeah, need. And um, there's a way that you can give. I think it's on the last slide there. Um, yeah, you just can go to mbmission.org, and there's a, a number there that you can go, and you can give directly to that. And Stacy and Joanna can, can get a hold of the funds there, and then they can buy food and the supplies that they need um, for them. So... Um, that's just a little bit of what's been on my heart this week. It's kind of been a heavier week for me just thinking about all the devastation that's been going on there and knowing that I was a part of that and knowing the friends of mine that are significantly impacted by that. And so, um, yeah, they're just asking us to spread the word to our churches and how we can be um, praying for them. They even want to take teams um, once it's um, cleared to, to go there and start rebuilding. And so who knows, maybe that can be something Henderson can be a part of is going there and, and helping rebuild some churches probably and homes and um, yeah bring bring supplies because they have to start completely over again um, so anyway just wanted to share that with you so that you guys can be in prayer for them because they are um, people that are dear to my heart and um, yeah I'm just going to spend a little time praying so thanks kids for helping me share that dear Jesus thank you um, that you're a good father even in the midst of crisis Lord I I pray that we can still call you a good father because you are and um, you supply our needs, um, you take care of our hearts, and you bring people around um, to support us in our, in our time of need. And so uh, just crying out to you that you would draw near to Stacy and Joanna and some of the pastors there, um, that they would be strengthened as I know they're going day in and day out into villages to bring aid to people and um, even rescue people. Um, but Lord, you are the true rescuer of hearts and souls. And so I pray that in the midst of devastation that um, these people would look to you and um, that those who are believers there would be strengthened and be able to share their faith um, in the one true God because so many of them believe a variety of different things. Um, but in um, this time, Lord, would they fix their eyes on you and may they find you and know that you are God and that you're in control. Um, so just protect them and uh, strengthen them today in your name. Amen.
my name is Levi Landrigan. I work at Timberlake Ranch Camps, and it's really great to be here this morning and see a lot of familiar faces. I've seen a lot of a lot of your kids out at camp before, and it's really great to be here and uh, have that connection and uh, the building and growing relationships with Timberlake and, and your church here. Uh, for any of you that don't know, Timberlake Ranch Camps, uh, we're located just right up by Central, Central City, and we're just a camp that we love kids and we love youth, and all of the fun stuff that we do, whether it be horse rides or canoeing or high ropes sports, we just use that to draw people in, and then once we get them to camp, we just intentionally point them towards Christ and help them grow in their relationship with Him. That's what we're all about. Um, one example of that that I want to share with you guys, last year we had a kid who was a, a pretty typical kid in today's world where, you know, he showed up to camp on a Sunday and he did not want to be there. You know, he was mad that he didn't have his cell phone and he was mad that we didn't have TV or video games and stuff like that. And he just really had a bad attitude about everything. And uh, so we were, you know, kind of watching this kid and hoping that his bad attitude didn't spread because of what it just did. And two days later, by Tuesday, he was one of the most excited kids to be at camp. He was looking forward to the next game. He was like, hey, let's go hiking. Let's go fishing. And he was just super excited to do that after just two days of being away from technology and distractions and the busyness of life and just getting into camp and the intentional love that the cabin leader showed towards him and the camp pastor and all of the fun games that we have at camp, that just the, the atmosphere of having everything that we do used to point kids towards Jesus. That's that's what we're all about. Um, one way that you guys can partner with us, again, is, is continuing to send your children, encourage them to tell their friends about it. Um, but also, like everything, uh, we, we do have some awesome financial endorsement stuff as well. Um, and just a little bit about Timberlake, we have what's called a three-tiered pricing. So we, if you get a, a brochure or something like that in the back, you can see that for every camp, there's three different prices that you are able to pay. The most expensive ones, that's what it costs us. That's just kind of, you know, when we send a kid to camp, they eat Christmas food, whatever. This is the cost is the most expensive one. But we are able to offer two other tiers that are less expensive, more affordable, uh, because of people like you, people that have made donations, people that really see the ministry of Timberlake and want to see it continue um, and make it, you know, more more available to people and we just mentor kids or lower incomes or something like that. So those are some of the ways that you can support Timberlake is by donating uh, the main camp scholarship fund. I, I believe the church is setting up some sort of long-term camper um, fund, which is really a really neat thing. Um, and it's really, again, just part of the part of the body of Christ. You know, camp isn't everything. You know, the kids can come to camp and have a great experience and uh, maybe begin a relationship with Christ, but we really rely on you guys, on the church, to send the kid back and have them continue to grow and to develop that relationship with Christ. And we rely on you guys as well to cover some of the financial needs and expectations with the kids and get the word out that way. So um, from all of us at Timberlake, thank you very much for what you guys do. We really appreciate it, and we really um, love having a good following at Henderson, and we hope to see even more kids in this area. And uh, I will be at the back questions about Timberlake or anything like that, or we can talk to you later, but again, thanks for having me, and yeah, God bless. Thank you, Levi. I don't know about you guys, but for me, um, summer camps have definitely been a highlight in my relationship with Jesus, um, so I want to highlight the program that we, we did last year where we offered 
um, some sponsorships to kids in our community. We have a lot of, probably about half of our kids on Wednesday night, we have about 40 coming uh, preschool through fifth grade, and about half of those are just community kids that come from families who have a difficulty sending them to camp, and they, last year we had the privilege to send seven kids that had never gone to camp before, and they were so excited about it. Um, when Amanda came two Wednesdays ago to talk about camp, they were just um, ready to go again. So we'd love to offer that again. If you would like to sponsor a child, just talk to me, and, and we will let parents know that this Wednesday, that we'd like to do that again. So it's a great opportunity for them because a lot of them, um, when we end Wednesday night, they don't have a chance or they're not coming to church, so it's a chance for them to get to um, have that input over the summer. So, And I'd also like to highlight this Wednesday is our last Wednesday night, and we're going to do a family fun night. We did it last year. It was a big hit. Um, we encouraged all the parents to come, and I love if you don't normally come on Wednesday or stay for the programming, stay, because we get um, a lot of community people coming in to play games with their kids. We rotate. Um, we'll have some fun uh, stations. I think Heidi and Becca are going to do some really fun relays, and Chad and Jessica are going to do some minute-to-minute games, and I'm going to be talking about family Easter activities. So come, and um, if there's some kids that don't have parents with them, we'll just give them to you, and you can just join in. So We'd love to have you join us. Thank you. Let's do a, a word of prayer. Um, as we get into this, a couple of prayer updates. Um, let me continue to pray for Kim. And uh, she had her fourth round of chemo on, uh, on the 27th. And there's some connections even in there, too, uh, if you want to donate to help cover some of those medical bills. Uh, that can get quite expensive. Um, also, an update from Tiffany Dick, uh, daughter-in-law of Leroy and, and Judy. And uh, this was on – I'm going to read my Facebook post to you uh, here. Um, but, yeah, this is just uh, some encouraging stuff. She writes, uh, Bob and I returned from Mayo Clinic yesterday. So she wrote this yesterday. Um uh, amazing place, too many appointments. Um, she has been diagnosed with stage four uh, metastatic melanoma. Yes, that is skin cancer, uh, but has two masses in several other spots on the liver, lungs, lymph nodes, um, some other things. Uh, but she says, my, my cancer has a certain mutation, BRAF, B-R-A-F, all capital letters, which has opened the door for some very good treatment options that offer the possibility of eliminating all the cancer completely, praise God. Now granted, that's best case. Uh, she will start targeted therapy drugs uh, as soon as insurance approves them. Um, it's not chemo, it's not radiation, or, or it's not surgery, uh, but these targeted drugs. And so she, um, yeah, then carries on. So there's, there's um, yeah, kind of a neat glimmer of light there in that situation. So um, that's good, good news. Uh, and also want to pray for um, uh, Jane's mom. She fell and, and broke her hip, and they uh, uh, put a rod in, had surgery, but it sounds like all is well. I mean, surgery is always a big deal, but um, it sounds like things are, are going okay there. But if you want more details, you can talk to, to Mark or Jane about that. So let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer.
some days it's just the contrast between the hope and the crisis that we are surrounded by. Lord, on one hand, we give you praise for hope, um, for things like Timberlake Camp and the opportunity for kids to go there and just fall more in love with you and and have a life-changing experience within just a few short days. Uh, we, we praise you for, for things like cancer, BRAF mutations that open up the possibility of a pill that eradicates cancer completely. But yet, Lord, at the same time, other people who continue to struggle with cancer, Kim and Tiffany, people of Peru who are suffering loss and, and struggle. So Lord, we just bring these things before you. And Lord, I'm sure that there's more stuff in our own life and just in the privacy of our hearts, things where we rejoice, things where we struggle and have questions. God, we just invite you into that place. We don't have the answers, but we need your hope. We don't have the, the solutions, but we need your comfort. God, we ask you here to hear from you, to hear your voice. Lord, whatever it is that you would have for us, we want it. We want more of you, Lord. And God, as we get ready to study through the book of Mark some more, Lord, may, may we always let you be you. May we always let God be God. continue to learn about your heart and your character. You are an amazing, amazing God. And you are so gracious to us, so faithful to us.
with the king. Well, I wasn't entirely sure I would be with you here this morning. We, uh, for the last couple of days, I've actually been uh, in San Diego, where it is beautiful and sunny and warm there by the beach, and you can be jealous, that's okay. And uh, we had the, the national USMB uh, leadership meetings, and so flew out on, uh, what was that, Thursday morning, and then we had meetings Thursday evening after supper, and then about 12 hours of meetings on Friday, and then came back Saturday afternoon. Um, but before I flew out, I, I got a text actually from United Airlines saying, um, you know, hey, bad weather is expected in Denver, delays or cancellations are possible uh, on your return trip. And so I sent a text out to our leadership team saying, I might not be here, and, um, but we won't know if I won't be here until like Saturday night. And uh, so we, we had a couple kind of contingency plans put in place. I was I, kind of interested to see how that played out. I thought about missing my flight or something just, just for the fun of it, you know. Um, I mean, San Diego's nice. So, uh, but, you know, gray skies in Nebraska are good, too. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, th- those were neat meetings. You know, the, um, just there, there's some great people on that board, and they're doing some great things. One of, one of the really neat things that has happened over, over the last couple, or I guess really just this last year, is that one is that for us as a church, we decided, okay, what, what are the things that we really want to focus in on? And of course, one of them was, you know, the, you know, grow disciples and, and that kind of thing. And, and what does that mean? And, you know, just pursuing people and, and outreach and, uh, and then also multiplying churches. Um, figuring out that. But then uh, also I remember in our leadership meeting, someone also said, well, you know, we also really need to figure out kind of leadership development and, and taking care of that. And it was like, you know, good. And we decided not to put it in the vision statement, but that needs to be a really important piece. So we kind of had these three things that we wanted to do. Well, within a month or two, the national board comes out and, and they said, you know, we've been working on this for several years and we decided that, that our focus for kind of this next season is that we want to do three things. One is that we want to work on church planning and evangelism. We want to work on discipleship. And we want to work on leadership development. And so there's just kind of this amazing overlap where really they came to kind of the the same three things as we came to. And so I just, I'm just kind of there as a spy to just steal all their ideas and and use them here in Henderson. So um, it it was a good time. And some good conversations. I want to tell you about one conversation I, I had. It was uh, late at night and, and sitting there in, in the hot tub and uh, just by myself and, you know, by the ocean and sailboats and everything else. It was great. Uh, and then this group of people came in. They were, they were actually staying on one of the boats. I don't know. They somehow that arrangement. So about four or five people crawl into the hot tub. They bring this big dog with them who um, a couple of the guys w- had real short hair, and you'd go around and you'd lick them the whole time. Just, I mean, it was really gross. Um, but it was, it was, it was like a, a grandpa and then like this other lady friend and then maybe a couple sons and a fiancé or something. And, uh, and grandpa was really outgoing, and he just dives right into like politics and who would you vote for and what do you think of what's going on. And I'm like, I'm in California. I don't know how this is going to go. And, uh, you know, and eventually it's like, so what do you do? You know, it's like, I'm a, I'm a pastor, you know, and that can kind of get mixed results anyways. But, um, but fascinating conversation. And, and the conversation really kind of shifted from, from grandfather to, to son. And we were all over the place. I mean, we talked politics and religions and Genesis and genetics. 
and the whole helix DNA and science and really how really your worldview determines the, the conclusion that, that you come to about scientific data and um, all, you know, and, and, and the, they, they, were, they were pretty well versed in, in religion, and so we were able to have these conversations. Um, Genesis, I talked about, you know, man being created day six, and then day seven is the Sabbath, and so really that first full day between God and man is a place of rest, and so, you know, God works and then rests, but then, you know, we, we really begin our relationship with the Lord from a place of rest and then enter into a place of work, and they, they were fascinated by that, and, and at, the, at the very end, he was um, talking, you know, he was frustrated because the secularization of society and how that's having a bad effect on our country you know, I'm like, well, can you give me a more perfect lead-in, you know, to talk about Jesus and the church, you know, and that was kind of our, our, you know, we were kind of wrapping up, they were getting ready to leave, and I was sweltering hot, because I'd been in there for too long, and the dog's still trying to lick people, and, and whatnot, but, you know, when, when it comes to, to talking about Jesus, to, to, you, to talk about, you know, evangelism, or the church, or, you know, these kinds of things, like, there are times where we need to lead the conversation a little bit, and so we use wisdom and tact to, to kind of guide it to that place where, where we can maybe ask some pointed questions or, you know, kind of give our perspective. But, folks, there are times where they will lead you. And, 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 and you know, part of it, I think, is just good questions. Definitely a part of it is, is, is the working of the Holy Spirit. Part of it, I think, is just the curiosity of, of humanity, but... I'm telling you, there are times where you don't need to lead that conversation at all. You simply follow their lead. And eventually they will set you up, you know, where they will say things like, the problem is the secularization, and you can say, well, then the solution must be, you know. And so it's, yeah, just I just wanted to encourage you with that. You know that, you know, it takes a little bit of discerning and, and patience and, and that kind of thing, but... Like, we have the most exciting news that, that the world will ever hear. And, uh, and sometimes we do need to lead the conversation, but, but sometimes if you know how, you just follow their lead, and they will just take you right to that place. And it's a pretty remarkable thing. Mark. We are going through the book of Mark. Mark is wanting to convince us of who Jesus is. And so he's giving us a lot, of, a lot of the events, a lot of kind of the action events um, of Jesus, trying to, trying to br- try, really kind of trying to lead us to that point to say, what are you going to decide about who is Jesus? And, um, and so we are in Mark, we're in chapter 6, first six verses. Let me read this to you. You can follow along or, or just listen. Um, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, So talking about Jesus, he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? Where is the wisdom given? What is the wisdom given to him? And how are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own household. 
and he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out among the villages teaching. Apparently there are only two times where Jesus marveled. One is here at their lack of faith, and one is with the centurion, and he marvels at his great faith. Which, which is kind of fascinating. Like, if you want to stump Jesus, if, if you just want to boggle his mind, where he just, he cannot grasp this thing that you are doing, just have no faith in who he is, even after witnessing his wisdom and his mighty power. Uh, Jesus has just completed kind of a regional missions trip. He's been traveling to some of the, the surrounding communities. He's, he's proclaiming the kingdom. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. Uh, last time we saw him, uh, he was at the home of Jairus um, healing his daughter. Uh, there, there was a woman uh, uh, who, who had a condition. She had been suffering for 12 years. He touched the corner of his, his robe. She was healed. And, um, and so Jesus has been traveling. He has grown in popularity. Really, as you kind of watch it progress, the crowds seem to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger as, as he gets uh, more famous. He has returned to his hometown of Nazareth. Um, we don't really know when he was here last, probably at least a couple months, maybe up to a year since he was here. Um, it's interesting, though, that even though the crowds have been growing... Here we get no sense of crowds. There, there's not, I mean, maybe Mark just didn't say it, but, but there's not really that, that sense of crowds. Um, everywhere else, huge crowds. Hometown, nope. Uh, he enters the town with his disciples. On the Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue to preach. Last time he was in the synagogue in his hometown, probably about a year ago, he gets up and he reads Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He stops mid-sentence. It's actually a comma. He stops mid-sentence. He sits down, and then he says that all those are now being fulfilled in, in him. And it, it is kind of interesting where he breaks, because the next sentence in it is, is to proclaim the day of the vengeance of our God. And that will come, but that has not come yet. And you've you got to remember, that was part of the confusion back then, is because they didn't realize, or this is kind of the, the, the dominant theory, they didn't realize that there were two comings. And so they thought when Messiah came the one time, not only would he bring proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, but he would also bring the day of the vengeance of our God. And so when Jesus showed up with the year of the Lord's favor, but no vengeance of God, they were confused. And rightfully so, because it's a comma. It's not like chapter 2, vengeance of God, right? Like it's just a comma. <laughs> and, and, and so it was kind of confusing to them. Jesus claims to fulfill these prophecies. So a year ago, he's in the synagogue, he reads this, he says, this has been fulfilled. Crowd freaks out. Drag, hometown, drag him out of the synagogue, drag him off. They're going to throw him off a cliff. And, and then somehow he just like walks through the crowd and walks away. We're not exactly sure what happened. Like if that was something 
magical or he just convinced them or they chickened out. We don't know. But he just, he's on the verge of a cliff and then he just, he walks away. Probably been a year since he's been in this synagogue. Last time he was here, they tried to kill him. Awkward. I mean, this creates just kind of some weird dynamics for both the synagogue and Jesus, right? Because it's not like you forget, oh, we tried to kill him last time. You know, like you remember that, you know? Um, Like imagine us having a guest speaker. And just like mid-sermon, we're like, this guy's awful. These are bad heresies. Like he just is bad. He dresses bad, like everything. And we just drag him out of the building and we say, never come back. And then a year later, he comes back, right? So that's what the synagogue is feeling. Meanwhile, you know, for Jesus, I mean, just, they, they ran him out of his own hometown, right? I mean, and Matt, for me, just imagine just like the anger and the bitterness of getting run out of your own hometown by people who knew you. There was one of my coworkers, he was at, at MB Mission. He, he was at a, a conference deal with like some other kind of discipleship missional leaders from other countries. And this one guy was telling him a story and kind of in broken English talked about they, they had gone to this town and um, they were going to evangelize and do some ministry there and that kind of thing. But they were very unreceptive and, and pain in the neck. And, you know, it's like, all, all right, yeah. But he, he keeps going. He's like, so we go into this town and, and we try to do this ministry and they don't like it. And they run us out of town and they throw rocks at us. And one hits me in the neck, pain in neck. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's what you meant. <laughs> you, our definition of pain in the neck is, is, is a little bit different. Like mine is annoyed and yours is you got pelted by rocks. But just the incredible grace and the forgiveness of Jesus to walk back into, into his hometown and walk back into the synagogue and, and really give, give him an, another shot at it, right? So, so Jesus starts to preach. And people get mad again. Um, Up until this point, crowds are amazed at his spoken word and at his deeds. You kind of see those things time and again. They are amazed at at how he speaks as one with authority. They they are amazed at at the miracles, right? Um, So you kind of have this thing going on. He comes to his hometown. No one denies that he has these things. Right? No, no one says their falsehoods or they didn't happen. No one denies any of that. But instead of being amazed at those same things, they, they actually challenge it. And they say, where does he get this wisdom? These words. And where does he get this power and this authority? So the same thing that has amazed the masses frustrates the hometown and they challenge him saying, where did you get this stuff? And it's not like inquisitive questions, like it is mad, challenging, doubting questions. These were the people who knew Jesus as a small boy. I mean, these were the people who, who saw him grow up, who saw him play baseball, who, who saw him you know, graduate school, get his first job. Um, he worked as a carpenter amongst them probably until he was 30. And then he goes on and, and, and does these amazing things, but despite this evidence, they, they just will not accept that Jesus is the Messiah. It's interesting, too, at how they attack him. First, they point out that he was a carpenter. I mean, he had probably been a carpenter there for quite some time. 
Um, Jesus was about 30 when he entered ministry, so for a long time he's in the community, you know, as a small businessman, as a blue-collar worker. I mean, Jesus had calluses on his hands just like the next guy. Like, he was just one of them for a good part of time. Um, Incidentally, like, we typically refer to carpenter as someone who works with wood. Back then, it could have been you worked with stone uh, or wood or perhaps built houses. So, I mean, that's probably what we're talking about there. But for so many years, he's one of them, and and he's not special, right? Um, But now he is special, and they get mad about it. They call him the son of Mary. That, that is peculiar because that was very much a patriarchal society. And so typically you would say son of Joseph, like you would reference the dad. So why are they saying son of Mary? Um, it could be Mary was there in the room. It could be that Joseph had, had died. And so they were just referencing Mary because she was still alive. But even in those cases, it seems odd because even if dad had passed away, you would still call him son of Joseph. The other possibility, remember that that Mary and Joseph did not get married until Mary was at least three months pregnant. And then, you know, sometime before month eight or nine. So it's very possible that that he had a bit of a repu that that there was the rumor mill and that he was considered an illegitimate child of Mary. And that they were actually taking a jab at him and saying, we know who your mom is, but actually no one knows who your dad is. Because, you know, your mom slept around. So we don't, eh, yeah, it's a possibility that that they were actually taking a jab at him on it. They reference brothers and sisters who, it appear, are also in the crowd and are also disbelieving these things as well. Own, Own family, brothers and sisters, not buying it. Earlier in Mark, you see that at one point, they try to come get Jesus because he's talking like a crazy man. And so they, they, they try to come draw him out. All through the book of Mark, Jesus' family has not been supportive. Later on, we do see that Mary, I mean, Mary knows who, who he is, although I think she was part of the, the group that was trying to call him out as crazy. Uh, we see a brother, though, that, that turns and, and believes. But we don't know about the rest of the family, right? But Jesus does not have a supportive family while he's in ministry. And that's hard. And some of you may know that pain, right? Where your own family does not support what you do, the work you do, the person you married, uh, how your, your choice about the Christian faith. Like, that is just a unique and difficult pain. And Jesus is right there with you because he lived the exact same thing. Here's their stumbling block, is that they felt they knew Jesus. In fact, they knew him so well that they could not accept, like, this new Jesus. Somehow, because they thought that that they knew him Jesus was not, like, deserving or or not earned the right to be this amazing. They had a version of Jesus that was comfortable. And when Jesus went beyond that, they took offense at it. Now, granted, some people simply decide not to follow Jesus, right? 
I mean, Jesus has displayed power over the weather, the wind and the waves. He has displayed his power over demons, over disease, over death itself. And yet these people respond with unbelief, with disdain. They mad, they get mad. For some people, seeing will never equal believing. Because they have simply decided Jesus is not the one. And so no amount of evidence convinces them because they have simply decided. Nazareth grew up with Jesus, but when he turned out to be different, as compared to familiar, they rejected him. And I weep for Nazareth. I weep for every person who pulls a Nazareth and for every church that pulls a Nazareth. There is a danger in growing too comfortable with our current understanding of Jesus that we never let Jesus teach us new things about himself. One of the other interesting things in this, there's um, just group and family dynamics. There's a guy by the name of Friedman. Uh, he wrote a book, Generation to Generations, about family dynamics. Um, and we would talk about this all the time at, at Trek Debrief. And, and, and basically how the theory goes is that um, family units, whether it's an actual family, whether it's a group of friends, whether it's a church, a family unit will establish an equilibrium. But when one person tries to change or adjust, it, have, have you guys ever seen th those mobiles, like I, either over like a, a baby's deal or like, you know, the kid brings it back from school and it's, it's like a, a coat hanger and, and then it's got like two things hanging it off over here and then two other things hanging it off and it's all kind of wonky and balanced and, and eventually kind of develops a, a, an equilibrium. But if one of those changes, or if you remove one, or if you add weight to, to one thing over here, then everything else flexes and readjusts. And family units are like that. Family units create an equilibrium. But what happens is that when one of those family units changes or tries to change, or is forced to change, perhaps, because of a medical condition or that kind of thing, it forces the whole equilibrium to shift. And that family unit will resist that change and try to push that individual back into who he was, not because it's better, but because it's familiar and they've all learned how to interact with each other in that situation. I shared this. One kid goes, that absolutely happened to our family. His brother, problem, child, wild card, whatnot, goes off on like YWAM for a year or two, amazing experience, comes back, like he's good with his money, he's doing devos in the morning, like he is a changed individual. The family who loves him responds with, this isn't the real you. When are you going to get back to normal? How long will this last? Right? They love him. But, but the whole equilibrium is shifting. And so subconsciously, they try to shift him back into who he was. And, 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 and it looks like the only way that the individual can maintain that change over a prolonged period of time is either, one, they have very strong external support, or two, they actually leave that family unit for a season. And that's exactly what his brother did. He left and he had minimal communication with the family for many years. And only after several years did he start to, to integrate back into the family. And, I mean, I read this story of Jesus, and I think, yep, that's pretty much what's going on here. 
Uh, this can happen in our own lives. But, but before you jump to like, I'm the victim on this, also think like, hey, where am I the community on this? I mean, there are times where, where we form an opinion of someone in high school and we have never given that person a legitimate chance to redeem themselves and reestablish who they are. Because in high school, they were, and we know the real, so this can't be, this is just a short-term thing. And we never let that person go. Jesus is offensive sometimes. Sometimes it's okay to be offended by Jesus, right? Because he's making us better. Like, that, that happens, right? He's refining us. He's maturing us. Uh, Hebrews 12 talks about disciplining us as sons because he loves us. James 1 talks about, Consider it my pure joy, joy, my brothers, when you face trials because, you know, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So sometimes, I, I don't know if offended is the right word. It, it probably feels like offended, but, but sometimes that's going on and that's okay. But that's not what's going on here. These people are not offended because Jesus is making them better. These people are offended because they feel that they know the real Jesus. And this new Jesus doesn't really fit. And so they take offense. And, and this happens to us as well, right? I mean, maybe you love evangelical Jesus, but not so much when he tells the rich guy to sell everything. Maybe you love social justice Jesus, but you're not so sure about that time where he pretty much violently drives everyone out of the temple. Maybe you love contemplative Jesus, but his calls to action are just hard to wrestle with. Maybe you love charismatic Jesus, but you sort of skip over his pious lifestyle. Maybe you love holiness Jesus, Except for that part where he reinstates Peter. Maybe you love incarnational Jesus. But, but, not, but not that one verse that talks about him returning on a white war horse with a coat that's been dipped in blood and a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth and a giant tattoo running down his thigh. That's a little bit weird. One of the reasons that I both love and hate preaching exegetical, where we just kind of walk through a book, is because it forces me to deal with stuff that, frankly, I prefer not to touch with a 10-foot pole. But I have to because it's nice. And that's annoying. But, but it keeps us honest, and, and, and it forces us to, to deal with stuff. At times, Jesus or Scripture are going to present things that, that we find awkward or offensive. Mark Twain once said, It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Jesus will not always be the king you want, but he will always be the king that you need. And for some of us, like we've just been doing this so long that we get comfortable and, and we're no longer challenged and, and we're no longer wowed or, or amazed and, and we, we no longer feel confronted about our sin. We, you know, we, we no longer feel conviction. And frankly, we've just we've developed some calloused hearts and we've lost our first love. And then true Jesus presents a little bit more of himself and another aspect of him gets revealed and it's outside our comfort zone. 
and we take offense, and, and we refuse to accept it or acknowledge it. And so just like Nazareth, we think we know, but we really don't. So we reject, even though all evidence to the contrary. We, we've got him in this nice little box, but when he steps out of it, no thank you, back in the box. people of Nazareth thought they knew Jesus. But when Jesus started showing himself to not fit in their box, uh, they couldn't handle it, and so they decided to reject Jesus despite the evidence. And, and as you and I progress in the Christian faith and learn more and, and come to know the person of Jesus, and as we commune with the Holy Spirit, and as the Holy Spirit helps us understand and, and interpret Scripture, since he authored the whole thing, right? Like, we are going to encounter things that, frankly— uh, make us nervous that that challenge previous assumptions that are uncomfortable that don't make sense they they, they, they seem to contradict right but i mean let god be god let him teach you who he is don't rush the uncomfortable seasons that will be some of your best learning do not rush those. They're not enjoyable, but don't rush them. Some of your, your best learning and some of your, your, your best just nuggets of gold will come out of that. God is offensive at times, and that's okay. He gets to be that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your Holy Spirit that we look to to help us understand your word better. And God, we just want to say this morning that we, you, you're God and you get to be God. And we recognize that we do not understand all of you and that we will probably spend an eternity trying to learn about you. And so right now, we don't know everything. We don't have a full understanding on everything. And we just, we want to be open, though, Lord, to you and who you are. And God, may we not put you in, in the comfortable box. God, may you always be, be going outside that box and showing us more. And Lord, there, there, there are parts of Christianity and, and parts of you that, that we will gravitate more towards. We, we get that. We respect that. That's a beautiful thing. But Lord, may we always just know and understand and, and respect the, the, the rest of you. And oh Lord, may we not, may we not go to Nazareth. Where we think we know you. And when you try to teach us something else, we decide to reject you. pray that for our personal life. We, we pray that for, for our church, for our community, that we may not go to Nazareth. God, it is a gift and a blessing to us that you continue to teach us about yourself. And we are thankful. We are very, very thankful for that. Thank you for letting us do that in community.
pray for more and more opportunities to share all of this with people who don't yet know you, for, for, with people who don't have a church home. Lord, you have entrusted us with the most exciting message that humanity will ever hear. sing this next song, I just encourage you to really search your heart, what God needs to shake in our lives, walls that need to be torn down, um, fears, pride, whatever it is, that if you would give us new eyes and a new perspective to see him for who he really is, and that we can open our hands to him and stay in it. deserve the glory. We lift you up. May our lives reflect you in all that we do and say. We will honor you, God. And when people look at us, they will see you and want to know more of who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.